Snippet. The short podcast platform. Hello, my friend, and welcome to The Closet Space. My name is Vic Ravindran, and every episode, I get to talk with incredible individuals who have come out of the closet in some form or another, whether it's coming out as LGBTQIA+, or even if it's a less talked about closet like having an invisible disability or simply leaving a way of life behind. Hopefully, my guests' stories of resilience and pride will offer a pathway out of your own personal closets. And if they do, let me know. I'd love to have you on the show. This week, I'm so happy to share my conversation with drag queen and Silver Lake Neighborhood Council member, Maybe a Girl. Maybe's coming out journey and passion for politics drew them to the world of drag, and drag then became a vehicle for Maybe's journey into politics. And now they are able to use their wide array of talents on both the drag brunch stage as well as the national stage as they gear up for their second run for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Without further ado, my conversation with Maybe. Hello, Maybe. Thank you so much for joining me in the closet space. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you, Vic. How are you? I'm doing so great. Uh, I'm so glad to be able to have this conversation with you, uh, not only because you are an incredible Los Angeles-based performer, a drag queen, for those who don't know, maybe a girl. You're not just any ordinary drag queen. You are the first drag queen ever elected to public office. And recently, uh, in 2020, you ran against our, our current representative in Los Angeles, Adam Schiff, and you're gearing up to run against him again in 2022. So you have quite a bit more on your agenda than just the usual drag brunch. Yes, uh, indeed. Well, I'm so glad to be able to pick your brain about that and see how you kind of mold both of your worlds together. I would love to talk to you about kind of how you got started. Less your amazing politician drag self now, but maybe the person who started off in the beginning and didn't know how to come out of the closet or even, you know, get a campaign started or put on their first eyelash. Absolutely. You want me to tell you about my coming out story? Yeah, I would love to hear it. Uh, How did that kind of unfold itself for you? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. um, As a queer and trans non-binary person, I actually have two coming out stories. You know, first was coming out as gay and then realizing that I was a trans person. So that was the whole second coming out and totally different experiences. You know, I came out when I was 16, which was many moons ago. And, you know, I came out in the early 2000s, which you know, not the worst time to come out, but at the same time, it wasn't, I feel like, as broadly accepted as it is today. Um, And, you know, I was nervous coming out to my mom. I actually, the reason I came out, I, I initially thought that my parents were homophobic. There weren't a ton of media representations of queer people in the early 2000s, save for, you know, Will and Grace and Queer as Folk. And the only reason I actually ended up coming out to my mom was because I found out that she knew. Um, In retrospect, it was also obvious. Um, How could she not know? But my aunt actually called me one day and was like, hey, um, just so you know, your mom knows that you're gay. And I was like, how do you know? And she was like, well, I've always known. You know, this was back when, you know, there was one family computer, um, that everyone shared. And, sure. you know, I had my AOL instant messenger up and my mom was not one to snoop, but I like forgot to log out one day and all of my 
dirty DMs were right there oh, for her no. to see. And she, so she called my aunt and my aunt was like, you know, um, just let them come out whenever they're ready. So I was, I thought to myself, well, if she knows there's no reason to, you know, beat around the bush. And I wrote her a letter and she was surprisingly cool with it. You know, obviously there shouldn't be any reason not to, but, you know, it's a big deal, you know, to come out of the closet to your parents. Totally. And, you know, I was lucky, grateful and lucky to have such supportive parents. You know, not everybody has that. So I'm grateful for that. And then my second coming out was, you know, as a, a trans person and, it's still a little bit different because I'm constantly having to come out to people mm. um, as somebody who is trans non-binary. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. You know, I sometimes have a more of a, a masculine look. And so I am getting called sir or bro, you know, almost every single day, which is part of why I hate gender specific formalities, sure. sir, ma'am. Mm -hmm. I feel like you should only be using those words if you are certain that you know this person's gender. And if it's just a stranger on the street, you probably don't. So that's been a little bit different. And like I said, it's kind of been, you know, coming out every single day. <laughs> and so how, how is that for, do you dread it? Or are you happy to be like, you know what, this is who I am. And I feel like you should probably be informed. You know, it really depends on the context. I feel like sometimes I just don't have the energy to correct people. 100%. Um, it gets it's also often, not your job. You know, you know, it's easier in my drag world, just because it is a little bit more common for for drag queens to be trans than, you know, just the average Joe or Joanne. But, you know, I also, I work at a restaurant part-time a couple of days a week. And, you know, I don't have the time or the wherewithal to correct every single person. And sometimes I just don't feel like getting into it. And it sucks because what's really unfortunate is I feel like people think they're being polite by saying, sir. And it actually throws me into a little bit of a tailspin. And, right. but like I said, it's, you don't want to have that conversation with every single person you meet. Totally. Absolutely not. Sometimes you just want to be a person, you know? Totally. So how does, how does your larger gender experience, how does that play into your drag? Because drag is such a playground to kind of experiment with being super male or being super female and or embracing different traits of uh, the genders that we experience here. So how do you uh, like to play with that in your drag, either politically or just visually? Yeah, well, you know, drag actually helped me to realize that I am a trans person. I started to realize that for me, it didn't feel necessarily like a costume or playing dress up. I actually realized that very early on in my, my drag career, if you could even call it that at the beginning. <laughs> and, you know, whereas all of my other fellow performers would, you know, after the gig, you know, sometimes take their makeup off right there and then, I would want to keep it on for the rest of the day or the rest of the, the evening. And because it, it, in retrospect, it was because it made me feel more of, more like the person that I actually am, you know, mm -hmm. not that, you know, women need to wear makeup or look a certain way. But I find that I'm gendered more correctly when I'm in, you know, my full drag look versus, you know, just my everyday walking down the street look. Gotcha. So. Well, then how does that drag experience, you being in drag, how does that then translate into your political work? How do you yeah, use that I mean, as your that platform to kind of dive to create a new arena for yourself? I feel like drag and politics 
even though they seem like two totally different worlds, they're actually not that far removed in, in terms of talking to people, meeting new people. You know, I think being a drag queen certainly helps with public speaking, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting on the microphone and, you know, talking to people. The act of drag itself is social and politically inclined. To intentionally break gender norms and gender codes and gender roles is in and of itself social and political by nature regardless of whether or not you're trying to make a political statement. Mm -hmm. When I ran for my local position here in Silver Lake, I thought I was going to have to put down my legal name, which is not maybe a girl, (laughs) but it actually allowed you to put whatever name you want on the ballot. And so I said to myself, well, people know me, you know, locally more as they do, you know, more as maybe. So I decided to, you know, run as, as maybe. And I go by maybe in my everyday life, but you know, girl is not my last name. I um, assumed as such, but I didn't, I wasn't going to pry. <laughs> but yeah, I think that dragon in general is part of it requires an audience. I started getting involved politically right after Trump was elected. And I started doing impersonations of a lot of the villains in his, his administration. Okay. And he started referring to me as the political queen. And then I thought to myself, I was like, you know, why not run for office? And so I decided to run for this local position. You know, I think every candidate's big fear is what if nobody votes for me? And, you know, I ran authentically as myself. And not only did people vote for me, but they voted for me. Enough people voted for me that I won. And then I just won my reelection maybe about five, six months ago. Congratulations. Really, Thank you. Thank you. It's been a really amazing experience being able to do it and you know, being able to do it as me authentically. Yeah. So what was it like to to have run that campaign and then to make history as the, the first of your kind public official? You know, it, I actually didn't even realize that there had never been a publicly elected drag queen or drag entertainer uh, until after the fact. I ended up doing a few interviews after I won my election and a reporter suggested to me that they thought I was the first drag queen in California to ever be elected. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's interesting. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, actually, I don't know any drag queens that are publicly elected officials. And so I looked into it some more and turns out there had never been one in the U.S. until me. So it's it's a pretty cool thing, you know, to be the first of something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a really awesome experience just getting to serve my community. And again, get to serve my community as my authentic self. We'll be right back with more from The Closet Space. Welcome back to The Closet Space. My conversation with drag queen and politician, maybe a girl, continues. Do you feel like for any of your constituents uh, that you talk to, do you ever feel like a message has been detracted or like been lost in translation to them because of your drag? Or, Or do you feel like the opposite, like you've been able to enhance your message because of your drag? I think a little bit of both. I think especially when I started my congressional campaign in 2019, the biggest chunk or the biggest obstacle to get over was just getting people to take me seriously as a candidate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they think, oh, a drag queen, what does a drag queen know? And here's the thing, I'm an everyday person. And everyday people, I think, are more qualified than career politicians to lead any sort of community city, state, nation, than a lot of the people, a lot of the clowns that are already in office. Mm -hmm. So I might have been the first drag queen elected, but there has 
been several clowns. Oh, for sure. The last guy wore a full face and a wig. So it's like, you know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, what has been your biggest takeaway from working in state and local politics? Like, uh, has it been like the clusterfuck of like bureaucracy or do you feel like it's it's more is it an easier flow when you're working at a local level first of all all politics are local you know regardless if you're elected to your neighborhood your city your county your state your nation you are representing the people around you in one capacity or another and i think i love local politics because it really affects your everyday life. I find it sad that a lot of people don't go out and vote for local elections because that's where it actually is going to have the most impact on your life and your family's life and your neighbor's life versus, yeah, absolutely, it's important to vote for president, but who's actually going to be affecting your surroundings and your, you know, the way that you live your life? And that's, you know, local, locally elected leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has an opinion and Everyone has a takeaway on any given thing when it comes to politics. But I will say that most people are want to see similar outcomes and goals, but there's just many different paths to achieving that. You know, everybody wants to be happy, happy. Everybody wants to be safe. People don't want to be struggling and different people just have different ideas of how we accomplish those kinds of things. Right. You know, I don't think that somebody who makes $400,000 a year is going to quite understand what it's like for somebody who is, you know, a couple of months behind on their rent. Everyone has their own different experiences and situations, but, you know, everybody is being governed by the same people that we elect. Right. Well, speaking of people that we have elected... What was it like when you ran for Congress in 2020 against uh, Adam Schiff? That's a huge seat. That's a big race. And you ended up, uh, you you know, you were third place. That's not, that's nothing to laugh at. I mean, that's, you were yeah. a few votes shy of coming in second. So, you know, we lost the primary election by um, 1,114 votes. It was less than, less than 1% of all the votes cast and, you know, it was the same as, you know, running in my local election. I was nervous. Are people going to vote for me? Are they going to take me seriously? Are they going to like what I have to say? Are they going to like what I want to do? And something that I realized is that people vote based on their their value system. And I really appreciated that so many people voted for me, you know, not because I'm a drag queen, not because I'm a trans person, but because they like the vision that I have. You know, and that vision is a vision that helps everybody. They call a lot of the policies that I'm for radical, but I don't think there's anything radical about wanting guaranteed health care for everybody. I don't think there's anything radical about guaranteed housing, you know, for everybody. And for some reason, our current political climate has been such that those ideas are being called too out there, too dreamy, when these are policies and programs that work great in other nations but you know there's too many corporations and too much dirty money in politics that that's why a lot of these policies are not moving forward it's not because the people don't support them the people do support them it's the politicians that we're electing who have their pockets lined by you know big corporations for me running against adam schiff was difficult the first time because he was such a uh, a vocal outspoken opponent of Donald Trump. And so many people will ask me, why are you running against Adam Schiff? Why are you running against Adam Schiff? I think a lot of people think that Adam Schiff is progressive because he's anti-Trump. But I will say that being anti-Trump is 
essentially the lowest bar. <laughs> I think sure, that, yeah. you know, it's a very low bar. You know, I'm running against Adam Schiff because I don't, I don't agree with a lot of his policies. And there's a lot of things that don't line up. Funny, my campaign manager said something to me earlier today, and I said, that's a really good slogan. <laughs> good enough is not good enough when it comes to, you know, matters of this importance. Good enough is not good enough. I totally feel you on that point because I'm all for, you know, getting more progressive voices into into elected office and higher elected offices. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, squad, as they call uh, the progressives in office right now, but, you know, they've been getting a lot of flack for not necessarily getting a lot of the things done that they stand for. But you can only do so much when there's only, you know, five, ten representatives who are actually progressive versus, you know, the rest of the body, which is, for the most part, moderate to conservative. Yeah, we're going to need a bigger squad. Exactly. We're going to need a bigger squad. So what is the focus of this 2022 campaign? And uh, are you changing your approach at all from last time? Yeah, absolutely. First big thing that we did was we started a lot a lot earlier this time around. I believe in our first campaign, we announced our run, I think, about nine months before the election. Um, this time we did it 16 months before oh, the wow. election. But to really make sure that we can, A, close that that gap and make sure that we're in the general election this year, but also just to, you know, connect with the voters and find out what is important to them. You know, I think everybody has their ideas of what they think, how, how they think things should be. And so, yeah, I think just having the experience of the first campaign has helped us vastly in our, our second run. That's great. Um, so... A lot of your work while in uh, as a council person and uh, leading up to it has been in homelessness in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. So I wanted to ask you what you think we are currently doing wrong. And like if you were elected to office, what would what would you change about our approach to how we are currently addressing homelessness in Los Angeles? Totally. I think that most of what we're doing is wrong. I've been a very outspoken critic of the way that Los Angeles, both the city and the county, treat our unhoused neighbors. You know, these are poor people. These are people. And rather than provide people with permanent supportive housing, we are criminalizing them. And I think that is so, so messed up. Our city council recently voted for, you may have heard of the sit-lie sleep ordinance, which Mm -hmm. basically makes it illegal for people to sit, lie, or sleep within like 50 feet or 10 feet of most public spaces, um, schools, parks, even homeless shelters. Mm. Isn't that kind of wacky? Right. Um, So rather than help people, we are spending an insane amount of money and resources on criminalizing our poor neighbors. And I think that is so messed up. The approach to it, everyone asks me, you know, how do you solve this? What's the answer? And it's not a simple solution. Um, You know, elevator pitch is we need permanent supportive housing and services. But you really have to break the cycle of homelessness. And, you know, people become unhoused for a variety of different reasons. And, you know, really addressing those root issues is part of what will bring people out of experiencing homelessness. So that means more mental health services. That means bigger social safety nets, um, not allowing people to become unhoused in the first place. But then for us, for our city to then sign to cite, to fine, to arrest our poor neighbors because they have nowhere to go, I think is 
I don't think you can get much lower than that. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe where can my listeners find out more about you uh, if they want to like find out one of your drag performances or if they want to look up uh, your policies and read about you so they can vote for you next year? Yeah, so you can find me on the social medias. Um, you can find me on Instagram at maybe a girl. That's M-A-E-B-E-A-G-I-R-L. Um, I'm also on Twitter, maybe underscore a underscore girl. Uh, you can visit our website, maybe a girl for congress.org. Um, we love volunteers. We love donations. We're running a completely grassroots campaign. We are not taking any corporate money, no dirty money, no PAC money. We're relying on small donations from listeners like you. Well, maybe thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate you. And I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation today. Thank you so much, Vic. I really, really appreciate it. I love what maybe represents on both a human and political level cannot get a new result by taking the same approach time after time. Maybe's personal journey and campaign message reflect that we have to be bolder in the face of our challenges if we want to make meaningful change in our lives and in our government. Check out Maybe online and see if they may be the candidate who best reflects your values. They may be a girl now, but come 2022, they may be a U.S. congressperson. Until next time, I'm Vic Ravindran, and thank you so much for joining me in the closet space. Thank you.